Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 99 and we are recording on September 26th. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Episode 99. <laughs> I know, I know. It's very exciting. So we are going to do something special for episode 100, which is not answer any questions. Because <laughs> I that because we felt like it. I don't know. For episode 100, we decided to just like talk about some books we like. They, they're not random. They are around like a centralized theme, which mm-hmm, you will find mm-hmm. out next week. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's kind of Amanda and Jen... Um, I don't know. Do what they want. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the show every week, but this that's is true. just this is just more explicit. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. What are you reading, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am reading An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, which we, I think, have both been very excited for. Um, it is a generationship sci-fi novel, which I always love, um, and it's by a non-binary author of color, which is also super awesome. And I just started it on my lunch break yesterday, and it it opens with a foot amputation, like like a like a kind of like a DIY like Ooh. sterilization situation. So the main character Aster um, does like medical procedures for the lower decks of this generation ship, who are clearly like the have-nots. Um, and all you really know about her so far, because uh, I'm only like 50 pages in, is that she is some kind of neurodiverse and has a hard time with people, but also is like a very talented medical person. So she has some special access on the ship. And then like you kind of get the setup where like it's a lot of decks and the upper decks maybe are like the fancy people decks where they have like gardens and parks and things. And then the lower decks, like they don't have heat right now because they're on energy rationing and there's not enough food. And like people have to like hunt the rats on the ship or Mm. something. Yeah, it's really intense so far. Um, It reminds me a little bit of the setup of Snowpiercer, like the different train cars, but like bigger and more... um, Diverse, I guess, is the word I want. So, so far, it's really intense, but I am enjoying it. What about you? Um, I'm reading, very slowly, uh, Slow Days, Fast Company by Eve Babbitts, um, which is kind of, it's an autobiographical novel, one of those, um, about Eve Babbitts, uh, who was kind of like an it girl uh, of, of LA, of the LA art scene in like the 70s, I guess. So this is like an, uh, an autobiographical novel of her dating life and her artistic life um, in LA in the 70s. It's like kind of like a classic of California literature, modern classic of California literature. Um, but she I, she wrote it to get the attention of a guy, <laughs> which is like... Just hilarious. Anyway, it's so well written and funny and incisive um, and really sharp and completely relevant to being like a single creative type person in your 30s who is kind of not looking to settle. Like that is mm. what's happening. It's super, super fun. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen the like 8 million pages that I've 
post it, post it, because <laughs> it, it um, it's so great. There's a whole essay about like why having female friends is better than having a boyfriend, but like in the 70s in California. So there's more like heroine. <laughs> Wait, so is it essays or a novel? Oh, it's yes, yes. Oh, I don't know. Like, okay. it's, it's impossible to tell. Um, I'm pretty sure the like the narrator is Eve, but not Eve. Okay, all right. But I could be entirely wrong. I read the I read the introduction and, and it it scrambled my brain a little bit. So. <laughs> and I don't think you're supposed to know or like able to tell the difference. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Or maybe it's just completely just straight essays, and I have fictionalized her in some meta <laughs> starry way. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what I'm reading now. Um, okay, so how the show works. This is a show for personalized reading or reading recommendations. So if you need a book rack for yourself or your book club or for a gift or whatever, you can send any of those to us. Uh, you can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or drop your question in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, um, please do note that in the subject line or the first line of your question if you use the form. Although if it's time sensitive by next week, we're not going to get to it because <laughs> next week is wildcard week for Jen and Amanda for episode 100. Um, but that is how the show works. So we're going to dive in and get to our first question and our first sponsor and then go, go gadget reading stuff. Yes. Indeed. Um, our first question is from Denise, who says, I'm going on vacation to Rome this fall, and I was hoping to read some novels between then and now to give me a feel for the city. I'm looking for fiction, historical or not, uh, just not ancient Rome, where the city plays a prominent role. I'm not really into mysteries or really super dark, heavy stuff, i.e. the vegetarian, although I did enjoy that one, but I'm good on dark for a while. Other than that, I'm open to whatever you can recommend. All right, so before we give our Rome picks, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is us, kind of. It's Lit mm -hmm. Chat um, from Book Riot and Abrams Notary. So we made this uh, sort of game. It's kind of like a game in conjunction with them because we know that the only thing that readers like as much as reading books is talking about books with other readers. So this is a set of cards that invite you to explore your individual reading habits and experiences, imagine yourself through the lenses of characters and stories. Um, each card has a different question along a different kind of theme. Um, and you can answer them with your book club or your best friends or your family or your classmates. I know Amanda brought this to book club mm -hmm. uh, with, with A plus results. And, um, and so, so you can go to bookriot.com slash lit chat to order your deck. And there are four different categories of cards. There's the reader's way, which are questions about your reading habits or preferred methods of reading or who you are as a reader. There's memoirs of a book lover, which are questions for sharing book-related memories and milestones. There's op-ed, which are all about your literary opinions and favorites and least favorites. And then there's the choose your own adventure questions that ask you to choose books and characters for hypothetical situations. So we're going to do a couple cards. I got to pull this time. So I pulled one from choose your own adventure and one from the reader's way. So I'm going to start with choose your own adventure. So you are on a camping trip with a group of friends. At night you take turns reading a book aloud by the fire. What book do you read? Scary stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> like that's Hilarious. I'm never going camping with you. <laughs> wise. It's probably wise. Yeah. Not that you Although, would ever go camping anyway. <laughs> I do. Well, I do like camping. I like camping, but I don't. Um, so the scariest parts of scary stories to tell in the dark are obviously the illustrations, which would make it. 
you wouldn't get all of that when you're camping because like firelight doesn't you know interesting interesting they're still real creepy like they're creepy but they're not so creepy that you couldn't like go to your tent and go to bed like a normal human i think that would be good (laughs) i i love camping but i am a wimp and sounds freak me out so (laughs) sounds freak i picked i was thinking about this i have never i have never read a grown-up book out loud i realized as i was thinking about this i've never done that i've read books to like my nephews and nieces but I have never read a grown-up book out loud. So this is like a weird question for me because I've never thought about like what the, you know, what the logistics as it were are of picking the right read aloud book aside from like recommending stuff to people that I think would be fun. But I think I would pick The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like something funny and lighthearted and like you can imagine that like, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you can see all the stars. So you can think about like where is, you know, Beetlejuice Prime or whatever the heck it is. Um, Like where is the Vogon fleet right now? So I bet I would pick that. All right. Our second question is from The Reader's Way. And the question is, how do you organize your bookshelves? E-bookshelves count too. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, well, mine are separated by genre and, or, and then alphabetical. I'm looking at them right now if you can't tell. But like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I like I have a YA shelf. I have a nonfiction shelf. Um, I have a classics shelf and then contemporary literary fiction um, and then like other shit. Get, I'm sorry, stuff. <laughs> other stuff gets shoved in um, kind of wherever else. There are a lot of stacks is what I'm saying around mm. my house. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stacks. Yeah, I do not have a system for shelving my TBR. That is just like, here are some books there in a pile. Um, Or TBR meaning like books. Yeah, no, TBR. Um, But the books that are like keepers are kind of separated out. I'm looking at my bookshelves. They're separated out by format. So my mass markets are in the bedroom and they are in zero particular order. They're literally just in (laughs) stacks on the shelves. And then my paperbacks are sort of separated out by nonfiction and fiction and then alphabetical. But my hardcovers, well, so my hardcovers are kind of alphabetical except for that in the middle shelf, which is the tallest shelf for all of my graphic novels, which are, I cannot tell if they're organized. (laughs) Basically, everyone listening is like hemorrhaging right now. Sorry, guys. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let us give our picks for Books for Rome. What did you pick, Amanda? Well, um, as is appropriate for Get Booked Bingo, I missed the I'm not really into mysteries part of this question. (laughs) Um, So I'm sorry about that, Denise, but it's a classic. Um, So I'm going to go with it anyway. And the one that I picked is That Awful Mess on the Via Marulana, which is by Carlo Emilio Gatta, and it's translated by William Weaver. Um, And if you get the NYRB edition, and then Italo Calvino does the introduction, which is really great. Italo Calvino is called this, like, the the definitive modern Italian novel. Um, So it is ostensibly a murder mystery um, about a woman who is killed in her apartment a few days after a burglary. And uh, the... Um, investigator, the homicide detective who is called in, um, his name is Don uh, Ciccio. I don't know if I'm saying that right in the Italian uh, pronunciation, but he um, is was a friend of her of the woman's husband, the dead woman, and like you know cared for the murdered woman, um, and gets really deeply embroiled in this case and connecting that murder with um, the burglary that occurred a few days before. 
So that's what it's supposed to be about. What it actually is is this big, giant allegory for fascism in Italy. Like, it takes place in 1927 um, in Rome. So, you know, there's a lot of um, allusions to the murderer being maybe a little bit kind of Mussolini, question mark, sort of. Um, I don't think he's ever actually named as as such in the book. But um, the writing style is really interesting and strange. Like, if you are a fan of James Joyce at all, then you will really, really like this. It can get very... Um, stream of consciousness like it's not a typical noir murder mystery this is there's like a lot of literary experimentation going on here and a lot of historical stuff woven in it was written in the 50s um so it is looking back on the period of italian fascism in rome um with some hindsight um but it is still very much like deeply about a really dark period of italian history so that's the awful mess on the via marulana by carlo emilio gatta this question is really hard because all of the novels about Rome are about ancient Rome, like yes. all of them. Um, and then, or they're mysteries. Like there's a ton of detective series set in Rome. This is like, this is very hard. Um, I wanted to recommend Angels and Demons by Dan Brown, except you don't want mysteries and Amanda already picked one for you. So I am giving you nonfiction, but it's narrative nonfiction. Um, Ross King has written a couple books about the renaissance artists um and the different like basically architecture and, and art around rome um i've read a couple of them and the one i picked for you is michelangelo and the pope's ceiling uh which is obviously about the sistine chapel Ta-da! um it, but it's really interesting so what he does is he zeroes in on the four years that michelangelo spell spent um painting the ceiling and it both looks at what was going on with him personally like he was having health problems and financial problems and domestic problems and like the pope was mad that it was taking so long um and then he had this like you know rivalry with um Raphael but like you know so it's it's all about his stuff but then also like the politics around his creating this so you get everything from like you know the young Martin Luther and like Dutch scholars and all of the other international things um, and political things that were happening all sort of with through the lens of Michelangelo working on the Sistine Chapel. So that will be interesting to read and then go see it. Um, and it is like, it feels like you're reading something. It's not dry, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like it's very engaging and feels personal and it feels like you're, you're hearing a story, but it's a real, real thing, real story. Because that's what nonfiction is. (laughs) Super eloquent today, Jen. Good job. Um, So that's Michelangelo and the Pope's Ceiling by Roz King. Okay. Question two is from Samantha who says, when I was in middle school, I went through a phase of loving ghost stories. You know the ones. Plucky middle school kid moves into a creepy old house on the East Coast, meets a benevolent ghost, solves the mystery of their murder so they can move into the great beyond. I especially loved Mary Downing Hahn. I was inspired by the recent post about Bruce Coville's series to load up on some books on my thrift books wish list, but I'm interested in the same style of story aimed at adults. Nothing horrifying, but a bit of a thrill is okay. I'm not necessarily looking for the same formula, but the same atmosphere and ghostiness. Okay, well, I have the same formula for you, but in comic book form, so it's kind of a fun twist. So I picked Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love, which is the greatest title of anything ever. Uh, It's by Sarah Vaughn, and the art is by Lan Medina. So Dead Man is a, I'm pretty sure it's a DC um, character, a member of the Justice League, who I don't know anything about, and I didn't know anything about going into this um, comic, but his 
his name is Boston Brand. Like he's a person who is dead and I guess solves crimes. Like uh, this is, I don't know. I, did, I didn't go into it with any like background knowledge. And he currently lives in this very old, um, creepy, lives, unlives, because he's undead, <laughs> whatever exists, whatever is floating around in. Um, this big creepy mansion in New England, this like old gothic house. Um, and in comes a young couple who are, Living in the house, the the um, boyfriend boyfriend or they married or they're no they're engaged. The uh, fiance, the guy, it owns it like it's his family's house. It's been in the house for generations, um, and the woman is there with him. He's like writing a book, working on a book, and she is there to like you know decorate the house and be there or whatever. Um, and then a ghost is discovered haunting the house. This like very tortured ghost. Um, and dead man comes into the woman's life to help her solve the mystery of who this ghost is and why she is haunting this house and won't leave. Um, it is very much like a help her solve the mystery of her death so she can move into the great beyond sort of thing. There's also a romance where the woman who lives in the house who has a boyfriend, but he's not the greatest, falls in love with one of her friends, um, who is trans, I'm pretty sure. Um, and also a woman of color. So there's just a lot going on. And it is that it has, it's like a more diverse and interesting version of that creepy haunted house ghost thing. And the art is really nice. It's like dark and gothic. Um, but it's not like terrifying. Like it's not, you know, Scott Snyder's witches comic book where you're going to have nightmares afterwards. It's like a very Shirley Jackson-y kind of haunted house thing. So that's Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. I'm never going to get over that title. Uh, by Sarah Vaughn and Lan Medina. When I saw the agenda, I was like, Amanda, that's not a real title. Like you just made <laughs> up, you made up that title. You made yep. up some words and put them that's together. <laughs> um, okay. I picked the 13th tale by Diane Setterfield for you. It is a very readerly gothic novel, um, is how I think I'm going to describe it. So it's about a woman named Vita Winter, who is this like very famous author, um, very reclusive. Nobody really knows anything about her. And she has been writing for like 60 years. And she's always, in interviews and stuff, she's always told people different things about her life history. Um, and so nobody really knows like her true past. And now she's dying and she wants to tell the truth, or so she says, about her life. So she like picks this biographer, a young woman, um, who has her own like sort of personal historical or history personal history pain um and uh and so margaret takes the commission and um starts you know hearing vita tell her the story and she's totally mem mesmerized by the story but she also doesn't she's not sure she actually believes vita is telling the truth so it becomes sort of this like puzzle where you're trying to put together the pieces and like is she lying? What is she lying about? How much of this story that she's telling is real? Because it involves like ghosts and governesses and fires and topiary. And you're like, this sounds like another novel that you're making up. Like, is this your real life? Um, and so it it's like eerie and it's, it's puzzling and it's got all of those gothic elements. It's definitely not like scary, scary, but it has that kind of atmosphere that I think you're looking for. And because it's about a writer and it's about stories, it has that nice meta level if you like reading books about books, which I do. So that is The 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. Okay, 
Next question is from Paola, who says, Hello, I am hoping to give my sister a book of short stories for Christmas. She is new to reading for pleasure, and she asks me if I can recommend her something, but it's difficult when she are not sure what she likes. I know she doesn't like zombie-slash-horror-like stories and books. Is there something with different genres, maybe? This will help her find what she does or doesn't like. Thank you so much. Okay, what you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked In the Country by Mia Alvar, which is a, a short story collection. I think there are nine different short stories in it, and they're they're not like necessarily different genres, but they're all they all take place across the world um, in different countries, and they all have different tones. And like, there's a lot of different kinds of uh, stuff, I guess, going on in these short stories. So she's bound to find something in it that she likes. Um, they are all about the Filipino diaspora, so all of the characters are people who have emigrated out of the Philippines or who are kind of exiled from their families um, or who left for their own personal reasons. Um, and then they have gone somewhere else. So they take place in Bahrain, um, the U.S., in New York. Um, a couple of them do take place in Manila, people who have left and come back. And the characters are all uh, come from completely different backgrounds they're teachers they're maids uh, there's a nurse in one of the stories there's a nurse who's moved to new york and he um, realizes that his father is dying back in manila but can't really get the drugs that he needs um, so he smuggles uh, the drugs back to his uh, family and then while he's there discovers some like secrets about his family and um, there's another story about a maid in New York, who works in the Twin Towers, who falls in love with her boss, um, and then the towers come down, and she, it's like her trek to get into the city so she can see if make sure make sure he's okay, and it's all of them are very like uh, your blood pressure will probably go up a little bit. There's, like, <laughs> there's tension in all of them. Um, they're not just well, I don't know like people contemplating their life. I mean that's happening, but there's like action and stuff going on, um, and. I don't know. They're just really interesting. Like I didn't realize that there was a giant population of Filipinos in Bahrain, but there is. So the more, you know, um, but yeah, I picked this because all of the stories are great and they're interesting, but they're all, um, so different and about people coming from different walks of life and then going to different walks of life. So I thought that, you know, for somebody who's new, maybe to short stories there, there would be something there for her to like one way or the other, one way or t'other. So that's <laughs> in, the, in the country by Mia Alvar. Have you been rereading Little House on the Prairie again or something? <laughs> One way or t'other. Uh, uh, this is Thanks, a hard... Ma. Yeah, yeah, right. The, this is a tough one because most short story collections and anthologies are organized around a specific genre. So, like, there are horror collections and sci-fi collections and romance collections, and there aren't too many that mix genres. But then I remembered about the Best American Short Stories series, and I went looking to see which one, which year specifically... I would recommend to you. And um, the Best American Short Stories 2016, which obviously is one of the mo is the most recent one, um, was edited by Juno Diaz. And it has a ton of authors that I think are fantastic and who would be worth um, introducing her to. So it has um, Chimamanda and Gozi Adichie. It has Ted Chang, who I love and who's more on the speculative fiction side. It's got Louise Erdridge, who obviously we adore. Um, Lauren Groff is in there, who's another in-house favorite. Lisa Ko, who wrote The Leavers, which has just been like blowing up all over the place. Um, Karen Russell is in there. Like it really is 
a really fantastic collection of authors. And the stories are going to span a bunch of different styles. And, you know, I think it's pretty much just like contemporary or speculative, but still there's a little bit of a range there in terms of what kind of genre stories they are. So I think this would be a really interesting collection for her to read. I think she might find some new favorite authors. Um, if you like one of the stories in here, a lot of these people have novels or other short story collections. So there's just it's just a really great sort of introduction to contemporary authors. Um, so yes, so that is the best American short stories 2016. Okay, before we go into our next question, we're going to do our second sponsor, which is Second Acts by Terry Emery. Um, this is about three women who have an unshakable rapport um, that kind of takes root when they meet each other in their college dorm in the 60s. And then at midlife, they find themselves re-examining the choices that they've made and the compromises that they've made throughout the course of their life from then until now over the years. Um, they're sustained through all of these kind of mistakes and regrets and life events by their deep and abiding friendship. And then the three women move to relinquish their regrets and their past and make peace with all of their present circumstances in order to, you know, find happiness and peace and to flourish in the, wait for it, second X of their life. <laughs> hey thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. So, yeah, go check that out. And thank you for sponsoring the show. That is Second X by Terry Emery. All right, question four is from Jessica. Let's see. I'm taking a train trip from San Diego to Portland in October to visit Powell's as part of my, part of my, wow, words, part of my birthday celebration. This is a special trip, so I'd love to pick up a few new books that I can cherish as well. I'm mostly into fantasy and sci-fi. I enjoy YA. I love a good story based in mythology or fairy tales. I've also been getting into mystery, suspense, thrillers, and horror lately and would love a good terrifying horror story. I do enjoy the occasional contemporary or literary fiction. I could do without love or romance as long as it doesn't take over the story. I would also love to include diversity in my picks. Books I have loved or really enjoyed included The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, American Gods, A Head Full of Ghosts, um, and The King Killer Chronicles. Uh, and then she goes on to list a few more. Okay, so I picked The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe, which I read recently. Um, you asked for diversity, and I'm pretty sure Alex Bledsoe is a white dude. But... The Hum and the Shiver is a fantasy kind of fairy book that takes place in rural Appalachia, Tennessee, which is an element of like class diversity that we don't really see that much of in fantasy, especially it's kind of, it's not urban fantasy because it takes place in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I kind of call it rural fantasy, but this isn't like medieval. This is modern day. These people like interact with regular contemporary society. Um, so it takes place in the Smoky Mountains, like I said, like in East Tennessee, and it's about this people group called the Tufa, and nobody knows where they came from when the first European settlers like crossed the Appalachians into East Tennessee or into Tennessee. They were already there. The Native Americans, um, like if when they're asked in the book, they say that they were already there. Like they've been there for before human beings ever should have possibly been there. They all kind of look the same, dark haired. Um, dark eyes, that kind of thing. And they're all really, really great at music, oddly. Um, but, you know, their little tiny population survives because they're very isolated in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. And so the main character's name is Bronwyn. She's a, when the book opens, she's a soldier. She's coming back from Iraq where she served um, and was wounded really terribly uh, in a, a battle of some sort. And so she comes back uh, to some problems in her family. She has she is a full-blooded Tufa. She has obligations to them that have to do with her leaving and coming home. Um, there's some 
some like kind of magical signs that are happening and omens that are foretelling death in her family. So they have to prepare for that. But the things that she needs to do in order to like function in this kind of magical world, she can't remember how to do because of her injuries in the war. Um, and so it's just a really fascinating book. Like you figure out pretty quickly, this is not a spoiler because it's kind of like immediately revealed that the Tufa are fairy people and like where they come from and all of that is a mystery that is eventually revealed by the end of the book. Um, but Bloodstone did some really interesting things with like, you know, these are dark haired sort of olive skinned people living in the middle of Tennessee who are, who very much keep to themselves and are kind of vaguely threatening to everyone else who lives in the community. So there's a lot of like interesting racial commentary that Alex Bledsoe is making there. Like there's a police officer who terrorizes their community who calls them high yellow. Like, so that's happening. Um, and he is making some interesting points about class and like the things that people who grow up in rural communities have to do to get out of poverty. But all of that within this framework of like, if you were a fairy who grew up in Tennessee, what would your life be like? And you don't have the internet also. So like there's that. Um, so there's a whole series of these books. If you like the first one, which I really, really loved. And I immediately went and ordered all the rest of them. Um, so that's The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe. I picked for you Tender by Sophia Samatar, who is a woman of color. So diversity check. Um, <laughs> and she is amazing. Oh my goodness. She writes the best fantasies. She's got a two book novel series, but I'm picked her short story collection because you mentioned that you like books based in mythology and fairy tale retellings. And this collection is, is it really has that feel of like fables to it and fairy tales. But what's so interesting about it is that they're each very different and they, some of them feel very contemporary. Um, there's this one in particular that sticks out in my mind, although I can't remember the title off the top of my head, that's about a young girl who is writing an essay for one of her classes in like junior high or elementary school. Um, and it's, she's talking about a boy in her grade who was bullied. And as the story sort of unfolds, it gets creepier and sadder and like more heartbreaking. But it's also like, because it's a young person telling it like there's there's some like really kind of hilarious asides um so it, it's like it, you will feel a lot of feelings um and then there's another one that's like all about ogres in you know the desert in Africa and there's um there's just a ton of different kinds of stories in here. There's one about a, a city, like a, a population of witches, and this guy, this merchant's like servant girl runs away to be part of them, and she writes the story of what happened, and then he writes a rebuttal. Um, so some of the forms are really, like the structures are really interesting and different, but I loved this collection so much, um, and I think it would really give you a feel for her writing style, and then you could pick up her novels after that. So, you know, I'm just saying. Um, so that's Tender by Sophia Samatar. All right, our next question is from Sabrina, who says, the last few years of my life have been pretty rough. Uh, to make a long traumatic story short, I have been going through an ongoing custody battle with my son's father, had an extremely diff difficult pregnancy that ended with my sweet baby in the NICU. She's healthy and happy now. Um, dealt with other family issues as well as my own internal ones. I also received my bachelor's degree in English and women's studies and now I'm in grad school. Although things have gotten better, I still have this overwhelming feeling of ex exhaustion and anxiety 
but above all, I feel inadequate. I'm a brown woman, the first in my family to graduate with a bachelor's, let alone get into grad school. I have three kiddos whom I adore, and I just really want to read something that will help me believe everything will get better, that someone else has been through the things I have, and that I am worthy of my place in grad school. I am worthy of my place in the world. I read Tiny Beautiful Things and loved it. I would love any recommendations of books with a woman of color main character and something not too long because grad school. <laughs> Aww, my heart goes out to you. Um, this is rough. This is a lot that you're dealing with. And also imposter syndrome is real and very uh, hard to combat. Um, so I picked for you The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, which is a memoir by Shonda Rhimes, obviously. Amazing. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, and, you know, Shonda Rhimes's problems are not our problems. Like, she is a writer for a TV show, and she has help when she needs it, and she has lots of money. But she really lays out the personal struggles that she was having. Um, for example, her just, like, deathly fear of public speaking um, and her issues with relationships and like trying to make herself into the person she thought her romantic partner was going to be. And she is a single mother. And I found this memoir to be so funny and so well-written and so compelling and also so helpful in thinking through some of my own things. Like, obviously, I don't have the same problems as Shonda Rhimes has, but the way that she approaches the issues in her life was really wonderful to read about. Um, and one of my favorite chapters in this book, like, obviously, it's called The Year of Yes, so it's about saying yes to things. But there's a chapter called like saying yes to saying no that I wanted to like you know tear out of the book and like mount on my wall or like tattoo all over my face or something um it was just super 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 good I loved this memoir a lot and she narrates the audiobook if you're interested in audiobooks um and so you can really like literally hear her voice uh which also comes across on the page really well but audiobooks is it's definitely a plus so that's the year of yes how to dance it out stand in the sun and be your own person by Shonda Rhimes co-signed mm. I love it Okay, so um, I feel your pain a little bit. Um, I'm also a brown single mother, uh, the first person to get a bachelor's degree in my family too. So I know a lot of what you're experiencing. Not all of it, obviously, but um, yeah, just wanted to say that. Um, so the thing that I picked for you is The Opposite of Everyone by Jocelyn Jackson. It's about a woman named Paula who is um, a lawyer. She's a very successful attorney and uh, like a divorce lawyer. And she's like tough as nails and really smart. And she's kind of the fixer of her law firm. So when the, the clients come in and have like made stupid decisions in the middle of their divorces that are going to ruin everything, Paula is the attorney that they call in to like fix it. And she's very good at her job. Um, but she has a really difficult story. So she was born in Alabama. She's biracial. Her grandparents would not um, take her when her mother was arrested and sent to prison for, um, for drug use, I think. Yeah, for drugs. Um, so she was in and out of foster care um, and just had a really tough time, especially with her relationship with her mother. Um, and then in foster care, she was in and out of foster homes, which are one thing, but then also um, shelters, which are like an entirely different thing where she experienced a lot of violence. And then she kind of pulled herself up out of all those situations to go to college and then to go to law school and then to become really, really successful. The book isn't necessarily about that. It is, uh, you do find out all of these things along the course of the story. The book is about her relationship with her mother, who she, when the book opens, she hasn't spoken to in 15 years. Um, but then she gets a note from her mother that her mother is dying of cancer. And then the next, uh, I think it's a couple of months later, 
a guy shows up on her doorstep claiming to be her brother, who actually turns out kind of is her brother, is her brother um, that her mother like kept a secret from her this whole time. So she goes off on this journey with her um, her private investigator slash ex lover slash best friend um, to find out where her mother is, why she has a brother she never knew anything about. Um, and to kind of get some closure on these problems and, and issues that she had growing up. Um, but, you know, it's also kind of a success story about a woman who had a really difficult childhood, a lot of it rooted in racism uh, and poverty, who eventually pulled herself out and succeeded uh, in a lot of different ways. So that's The Opposite of Everyone by Jocelyn Jackson. Okay. Our- Oh, sorry. Oh, wait, you. No, wait, you. Sponsor three. Yes, <laughs> I it is. Agendas. <laughs> it is time for sponsor three, which is A Poison Dark and Drowning by Jessica Kluse, um, which is about a girl named Henrietta who doesn't need a prophecy to know that she is in danger. She came to London to be named the chosen one. She's the first female sorcerer in centuries. She's supposed to, like, defeat the ancient bad guys and instead she finds a city that's ruled by secrets and the biggest secret of all is that she is not the chosen one spoiler um and so in this which is the second book in the kingdom on fire series um clues delivers magic and passion and teen warriors fighting for survival uh readers are calling it cassandra claire meets jane Eyre, which has a nice rhythm to it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and if those are things you're interested in which i know a lot of you are you will want to pick it up it is set in an alternative 19th century england um there so book two which is this one a poison dark and drowning is out now which also means you can catch up and read a shadow bright and burning which is about henrietta discovers her powers um meets her fellow sorcerer trainees uh gets involved in a love shape which you know also is a thing that i know we like to talk about here um love shapes uh so yeah if you like altered chosen one narratives if you like YA if you like alternative like you know twisted 19th century England and magic um, this is definitely a series that you will want to take out uh, to check out rather so thank you again for sponsoring and that's A Poison Dark and Drowning by Jessica Clues. Okay, question six is from Jess, who says, I'm trying to complete the 2017 Read Harder Challenge, and I'm having trouble finding books for some of the categories. One in particular that has me stumped is read a YA or middle grade novel by an author who identifies as LGBTQ+. I actually love YA, so you would think this would be easy for me, but I'm having trouble figuring out which authors identify as LGBTQ. Sexual orientation isn't always printed on the About the Author page, so how would I find this info? Some YA books I've liked recently are When Dimple Met Rishi, Saints and Misfits, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and Something in Between. Okay, um, you're right. Sexual orientation isn't always printed on the About the Author page or the author's website. Some of them don't want it out there. That's totally fine. Um, but you can check. We need diverse books um, for, uh, that's a great resource for uh, diversity of all kinds in your reading. And they focus mostly on kids, middle grade and YA. So you can probably find something there. But since you asked, I also have a thing for you and so does Jen. Uh, my recommendation is When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie Macklemore. Um, Anna Marie Macklemore is queer and also Latina and this book I'm in the middle of it and it's adorable it's so good I love it so much okay so um, it's hard to place the timeline but I'm pretty sure this is like modern day somewhere there's like references to um, like going to high school and that kind of thing but it's magical realism so it's blended with a lot of really magical past feeling kind of stuff Um, so the main character's name is Miel. And she has roses that grow out of her wrists. 
um, and her best friend is Sam. Uh, Miel is a girl with like a very mysterious past. She just appeared one day and she spilled out of a water tower actually when she was five years old. No one knew where her parents went um, or where she came from and so a local woman kind of adopted her to raise and the the local woman is herself I don't remember the name for it um, but she heals love sickness so people she's a kind of like bruja essentially people come to her with love sickness and she pulls it out of their heart magically <laughs> um, and then Miel and Sam have been best friends since she fell out of that water tower when she was five years old um, Sam paints moons and like hangs them in trees for her because that's the thing that she uh that, that like makes her feel comforted. She's also deathly afraid of pumpkins, which is like a odd little side note. Um, but then they fall in love, Mel and Sam fall in love. Um, and the subplot that's happening here is about the Bonner sisters who are four sisters who live in their town who are like beautiful. And their thing is that they wait for other girls to fall in love and then they just kind of swoop in and take the boy. They're rumored to be witches and they want the roses that grow out of Miel's wrists. They want them um, because their powers are kind of fading and they're convinced that having these magical roses that grow out of, a, of another girl will help them like re reclaim their powers, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure of like the words to use for that. Um, and they're, they have some, they know some secrets about Miel's past and her family and her parents, her real parents that they are, um, willing to use to kind of get what they want. So it's about that, like Miel and Sam's kind of struggle with these girls who may or may not be witches, but also about their love. Sam is a, um, has a, such a, like a fascinating backstory. Um, he's a trans boy and it began in the, his family's Pakistani and it began with this cultural thing um, where his, was it his mother or his grandmother is widowed and doesn't have any men in the family to help take care of her. And so there's like this cultural tradition of when that happens of the girls in the family dressing like boys until they come of age so that they can like escort their sisters places and, you know, go out and have a job without needing to be escorted themselves and like drive cars and things like that um, so that their family can continue to function. And it's just like an accepted cultural tradition. And that's what Sam does but then the older he gets and the closer he gets to being able to like quote unquote go back to being a girl the more he realizes that this is actually who he is so he's dealing with that at the same time that all this other like really bonkers magic stuff is happening there's just a lot going on and it's really fun and lovely um and you know it reminds me a lot of the night circus actually like it's not historical at all and it's not nearly as magical openly as that but like there's a lot of food and smells and it's very like sensual um and the atmosphere is kind of similar so i'm really enjoying it that's when the moon was ours by anna marie macklemore all right i have a pick for you but first i just want to say about like not uh, not having sexuality on the uh about the author page there's there's always interviews and also if you do a search for own voices um that will give you people who are writing about topics with which they identify as being in that community. So those are some tools for you too. Um, so my pick for you is Dreadnought, which is the first in the Nemesis series. And I am obsessed with these books. Oh my gosh, it gave me so many feelings. Um, the author is April Daniels, who is who has given interviews about being trans. Um, and this book is about a kid named Danny who inherits the powers of the world's greatest superhero, like comes upon this superhero while he is dying and gets past the powers. And part of that transfer of powers is that when Danny receives the mantle, it also enables 
her to become her. Because Danny was born a boy, but has always known that she's a girl. Um, and so when she gets these powers, like it allows her to reshape her body. So literally in like an instant, Danny goes from having a male body to the female body that she is comfortable in, which should be amazing, right? Like that is like the best possible transition you would think, except of course it's not, it's very complicated. Yeah, exactly. Her father is... Um, emotionally abusive and is not on board her mother is very passive and like not able to stick up for her um her best friend is not taking things well uh the fellow like the superhero league who are mostly grown-ups are reacting in ways that are not necessarily supportive um so there's a lot of complications and then of course danny also like has these powers and have to figure has to figure out like what is she going to do with them how is she going to be a teenager be the person that she wants to be and also like use this mantle responsibly um so it's a really fascinating and really compelling story i just loved it i have not gotten around i haven't had time to pick up the second one yet but it's out now um and there are so many good supporting characters and the plot is really great and i just want everybody to read this book so we can all talk about it uh so that's dreadnought by april daniels and our last question is from Haley who says, I'm searching for suggestions to send to my friend who is in the U.S. Marine Corps and deployed to the Middle East for an extended period. He doesn't get a lot of downtime, but likes to read and obviously doesn't get to bring many books along. Uh, the books need to be shortish since I'll be sending them via airmail. He enjoys Kerouac and Hemingway, maybe something with a sense of humor. Uh, any good intriguing story slash memoir slash essay collection that will lift his spirits but not be too heavy, um, fiction or nonfiction, super into all kinds of music he used to be a dj he also loves to travel and study several languages this is like a very interesting person you're describing i know <laughs> like can we meet this person <laughs> i know there's a lot of like inroads into here i think amanda and i both seized on the music thing mm-hmm. <laughs> amanda why don't you go first okay um i picked music ophelia by oliver Sacks. um it is fairly short let me i am double checking that yeah well it's 400 pages but that's the hardcover i'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> um so i picked this because oliver Sacks was he passed away recently but he was a really famous neurologist who wrote a lot of nonfiction, narrative nonfiction about different brainy uh topics and brainy as in stuff about the brain not brainy as in like hard to understand um but i feel like somebody who likes music and also is into languages would be really interested in how um, the brain processes music because it's, it often has a lot in common with how the brain processes language. So um, so I went with this one. And it's about um, he, what Oliver Sacks calls musical misalignments. But these are people who, because of brain trauma or, or conditions they've been born with, interact with music in different ways um, than what would be considered to be normal. So like he studies a guy who in his 40s is struck by lightning and then because of that, like directly because of how that affected his brain, wakes up with like a burning need to become a pianist randomly. Um, He also studies uh, kids, this group of kids who were all born with Williams syndrome, which is like a a syndrome that makes you hyper musical, which I feel like sounds kind of like a superpower, um, but also would probably be super annoying. Um, And then there's a man who I actually saw a documentary about when I was in high school, but whose memory doesn't work. Like he has no short or or functional long-term memory. It only spans like seven seconds. 
except when it comes to music. He can remember music as soon as it's played for him. He could play it back, like that kind of, um, uh, not a not a tick. What am I trying to say? Like a like a whatever. I don't remember the word that I'm trying to come up with. Um, but so all of the different essays are about different people that Oliver Sacks himself has studied or in some way researched, and how music and the brain function. And he is a really really conversational writer. I mean, he's writing about like these really deep. Um, both philosophical and scientific issues, but he's so conversational that you, it's not difficult at all to get into. So even though your friend is obviously in a, a really stressful situation, I think that he won't have any trouble kind of, you know, these are just fascinating things written in a really friendly way. So that's what I went with. So that's Musicophilia, Tales of Music in the Brain by Oliver Sacks. When you said short and about music, my brain immediately went to Let's Talk About Love, which is one of the 33 and a Third series by Carl Wilson. Um, the 33 and a Third series is great. If you want a bunch of short stuff about music to send to someone, they are all like less than 200 pages for the most part, I think. Um, and they're all sort of long essays on a single musical subject. Usually it's albums. Um, sometimes it's a specific song and a bunch of different kinds of people have written them. So this one is, is great because it's a, it's a critic, a music critic talking about Celine Dion, which you would think <laughs> would just be like the most snarky dismissive thing. But what Carl Wilson does is decide that he's going to like try to figure out what it is that her fans love so much about her. And in the process, he really re-examines what he thinks about taste um, and like what defines good taste and what defines bad taste. And it's really interesting to see him like immerse himself in like her Vegas show and interview people and like listen to, you know, like the songs and like particularly, you know, the Titanic song like comes up for, for discussion in here. Um, and which I'm now going to have in my head all of the rest yep, of the day. Sorry, yep, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's it's really well done because he he doesn't become like a caricature of the music critic talking like, you know, ragging on Celine Dion. Like he really thinks hard and in interesting ways about it. Um, and I just really I read this whole book, I think, on a plane, like at a long flight. And I just sat there and read this. And it was really entrancing and engaging, but also very light, very interesting. There were funny parts. Um, and it, yeah, it really makes you reconsider like how you think about pop music, about pop culture and about like, you know, what, what does it mean to have good taste? So that's Let's Talk About Love by Carl Wilson. And that's our show. Huzzah. <laughs> Jazz hands. So thank you all very much for listening. Please go leave us ratings and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find when they're searching. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen. Yes, you can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And we will talk to y'all next week with our Jen and Amanda Go Wild episode. <laughs> 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 All right, see you later. Bye.